Good morning, friends. You know what time it is. Time to find your balls. My name is Jeff Stuckey. I am in the shotgun position, halfway drunk because it's a holiday weekend. Greg, as always, has his hands on the wheel, keeping this fucking thing on the road. Greg, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, and uh, I appreciate the free pass on the small talk. Yes. I know you're <laughs> I, just chomping at the bits, so you I, just get us going. I know. So I'm so excited about today, and you should be able to tell in my voice today. Uh, <laughs> Note to listeners, have... <laughs> Greg is again excited, even though we cannot tell by any audio or visual evidence. <laughs> but today, we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Tommy Breedlove. He's the author of the book Legendary. And I'm just excited to have him here. Um, he has assembled a, a playlist, a tool book, if you will, of um, a guide for men to lead a uh, rewarding life uh, by living out their authentic self. And so, uh, Tommy, I didn't mean to give away your thunder there, but <laughs> welcome to the show. We're excited to get your uh, input. Yeah, if, if he dropped the ball, then I threw it out of the building, man. So I'm just thankful to be here, brother. So I uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that intro, and let's rock. Yeah, man, what a... what. What a compelling story. Uh, well, that's where I'd like to jump in because your story is, your personal story is like, fuck, man. I'd like to hear some details on that. So uh, tell the story, man. What an incredible story. Yeah, man. So grew up in good blue collar, South Side Atlanta, good hardworking part of the world. Uh, nobody in my family had ever gone to college. And I was scheduled to be the first person in my family. I had a half a ride to the University of Miami, full ride to the University of Georgia, and three, four other schools. And unfortunately, um, because I grew up around a lot of violence and abuse, I became what I hated. And at 19, 18 years old, not 19, 18, instead of heading up to Athens to go to the University of Georgia, go dogs, by the way. <laughs> I Go uh, dogs. <laughs> go dogs. I uh, unfortunately committed a violent crime. I was looking at seven years in prison and thought my life was basically over. Uh, luckily, since it was a first adult offense, they dropped it to two year, two heavy misdemeanors. Um, but I did spend my 19th birthday incarcerated. Really cool thing happened to me there, though. It's finally some male mentorship appeared in my life and it appeared in my life from an African-American gentleman, which is just unheard of in places like that. And so from mentorship to love to accountability, he said he come a young blood, which you know my name's Tommy, not Young Blood. But he goes, uh, it's pretty close to Breed Love, though. I'll take Young Blood. That sounds like a cool name, anyway. It's cooler than Tommy Breed Love. But he's like, uh, you, you you can't become part of this revolving door system. And he was right because he had been in in and out of the system his whole life. He was in his forties, a big big dude, and just a just a beautiful man. And with his help, I dusted myself off, picked myself up, went to work in a, a nuclear waste container factory as a machine operator. I'm not kidding. <laughs> putting myself through community school at night and then did up at the Univer university of Georgia a little bit later. So it was kind of cool. I went from literally a cage, a jail cell to a huge public accounting financial consulting firm called Deloitte in three years. And that's one of the things I'm proud of. And then I'll fast forward a little bit, um, go fast forward to about 36. So coming from humble beginnings, didn't come up with a lot of money. No one was educated. I thought if I had to corner office and the shiny cuff links and the the big watch and the Italian suit. And I check, 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 check junior partner firm and looking literally my office is looking down on the city of Atlanta. I thought I would be happy fulfilled. And, um, that's what success was. But when I got there and the money and the power and fame, and we were winning all these awards for all this different bullshit meant nothing to anybody except us. Um, when that didn't fulfill me, man, I turned to all the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, drugs, booze, women, you name it. And at 36 years old, it almost cost me my life. It almost cost me my firm and it almost cost me um, my marriage. And I literally woke up in a ditch in downtown Atlanta, looking up at the sky, thinking, man, how the fuck did I get here? And who am I? Where am I going? I was probably doing some huge deal before that and just decided to transform my life, gentlemen. And in that moment, man, I said, enough is enough. I, I pulled my boots up, went and told my wife everything. And I'm like, look, here, here's who I am. And I'm going to go go figure out who I am. So went through this program in Tennessee for seven days. It's the first time I could feel, first time I could be, you know, figured out who I am. And from then on out, man, I have made me, my person, my physical, my mental, my emotional, my spiritual health, my number one goal every single morning of my life. And it has just paid dividends from, I never planned on leaving financial consulting or writing a best-selling book. I never planned on leaving any of that. But in three years, my marriage became the best that it had ever been. 
my net, my money doubled. I went from junior partner to international practice leader to, to owner to elected to the board at 39. Most of the guys were in their sixties. And then, um, and then all these dudes, and I'm talking dudes started reaching out to me, big entrepreneurs, corporate executives. They're like, man, I don't know what you did. Uh, Cause I was tied into that network, but you, you're, you're peaceful. You seem better. Your marriage is happy and you're making more money than ever. What, what pill are you taking? Like what drug is that? <laughs> and I was like, there is no drug. And so over time, this new career and this book, the book's universal. It's for men and women, but this career of running retreats, uh, masterminds, coaching, and conferences for executive level men to help them be better husbands, leaders, uh, men, and just be true to themselves and know there's a community out there for them. It's been the most humbling and beautiful thing I've ever done. So thank you for letting me share that, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious what, at 18 years old, like, I'm going to prison. I mean, that sounds fucking terrifying to me. What, like, what was that experience like going through it? Uh, horrible. I was, uh, couldn't eat puking nonstop. Um, didn't think I would ever make it to court because I've never felt stress like that. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty stressful situation, especially inside the home. And, I was literally looking at seven years and we thought we had hired an attorney. We had hired some real estate guy that <laughs> was like 10 bucks an hour. It's all cool. We, we could barely afford that. We probably financed five of that 10 bucks. That's how poor we were. Um, but it was, it was stressful as hell. Um, but I remember getting there and they're like, well, we're going to drop this to misdemeanors. That's a little bit of a weight off your head. Um, but I remember standing in front of that judge and he said two, one year for this and one year for that. And, um, and then literally you're standing there and they take you away, man. And, um, it's, it's, it's horribly frightening. And I remember one time and I, I don't share this part of the story once I remember leaving to go to, uh, luckily I never actually ended up at prison. I, I did spend all of my time in an oh, very overcrowded South Atlanta jail, very overcrowded because the prisons were overcrowded. So basically the jails had become prisons. But I remember on the journey there, they had me handcuffed to a guy feet and hands um, and he was a rapist, man. And like, he had nothing in his eyes. And so here I am, this 18 year old white skinny kid who thought he was a wolf. And I realized, man, I am a lamb among wolves. I mean, this man had nothing in his eyes. There was no soul. There was no love. There was no compassion. And even for a tough, rough, rough neck kid like me, I was like, man, I am going into the belly of the beast. And so that's why it was so important for that Tony guy to appear in my life, to help me, to guide me, to really kind of, in some ways, protect me as well. And I think that was a saving grace for me. And, you know, cause uh, not everybody looked like me in that place. Not everybody was an 18 year old, little skinny white kid in <laughs> South Atlanta. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kudos to Tony brother. Did he seek you out or how did you guys paths cross? Our paths cross. Cause, um, luckily I think, you know, I don't know how all the, that system works, but they put me to work right away. Um, so within two weeks, they've got me washing cars. They've got me cleaning toilets and courthouses. You know, you go to work, you don't just sit there all day. And he was on, he had earned his way kind of way up on those work crews. And that's where I met him. And we started talking and laughing and he started, you know, you know, the love language there is taunt even more so than sports. And I grew up in and around sports. So, you know, what taunting is, man, you know, the locker room talk, but it's on steroids there. And he liked to taunt me a lot, young blood. And what are you doing here? And, um, and eventually this friendship just was born and laughing and we played cards together. So we played spades together. Um, but I think he just, I think he just saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. And so I really think that's what it was. Boy. And for, for me, that just speaks to the power of male companionship and mentorship. I mean, there is just some incredible life changing, transforming power in that, that, God, man, that speaks to you in that moment, right? What a. And I had not had that, you know, in, especially inside the home. And I was the youngest boy in an all, all boy neighborhood by three years. And so I took a lot of, a lot of, uh, lumps during that neighborhood too. And, um, just to have someone who, who truly, in my opinion, cared about me and wanted to see the best out of me because I was taught real young that, you know, you're not lovable. You're not worthy. You're basically a piece of shit. And, you know, over time that you start believing that stuff, it's not true, no matter what's been done to you or what you've done or whatever, it's just not true. But I started believing that. And for like the first, you know, as much as I could at that time, 
I started maybe believing, you know, maybe, maybe there is some, some life and, and blood and goals and some goodness and integrity in this body. So it's, pre- it's pretty cool. So when you, so then you go to just this almost unimaginable success when you kind of start living Wolf of Wall Street at that time, did you know you were miserable or did you think, no, man, I'm fucking on top of the world? Totally did not know it. And that is, that's probably one of the best questions I've been asked in, in three years. I, I'm on these, I'm on TV and radio all the time. That's a great question, by the way, brother. Um, I didn't know it because I thought the cars, the, the Rolexes, the suit, the, you know, throwing money away. You might as well have gone out in the street and burned it on what we were using it for. I thought that was what powerful guys did. And by the way, like the darkness, the people who run in that world, you know, you surround yourself with those people. I wasn't surrounding myself with like positive people. You know, the whether we know it or not, there is a section of the banking, legal, accounting, investment banking, investment world that they don't write all those movies because they're lies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, they, pro- they make them a little sexier. They put better looking people in them, like Leonardo DiCaprio. They don't but put it ain't my fucking fiction, is it? Like that. <laughs> it ain't <laughs> fiction, man. There's a reason they write those stories. Um, and so you surround yourself with people who that a boy, that a boy, you know, gives you a big pat on the back and you go, 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 go. And, um, you know, and, and it's never enough. And so you start basically simply doing simple things. Let's go to the strip club or let's drink 65 beers. And then it just gets darker and darker and darker and more and more and more. And you just get wilder and wilder and wilder. And it's all for me, it was like, I didn't realize this till later. I think it was on some level unconsciously trying to kill myself because I never could feel like I was me. I was, let me tell you how it came out, man. It came out in this, I'm a big dude. It came out in this big, arrogant, you know, arrogance is just insecurity on steroids. Well, I was that arrogant guy, couldn't ask for help guy, life of the party, always buying all the drinks guy, always surrounding myself with people who are like, Tommy, Tommy, <laughs> what a bunch of, which bunch of bullshit that is. <laughs> um, and so, but what I was really afraid of is I, I really still had that belief. And I know this is a little woo woo, but I had that belief in my heart that if I don't do that, nobody will like me. If I don't do that, I'm not worried. If I just be me, no, I won't be cool enough or, or whatever enough. And what I've realized, you know, 11 years later is that's complete BS, man. And so that's how it manifested for me. And so you end up in a ditch. What clicked that time that had not clicked up to that point? Uh, I believe I was horribly frightened. It's a weird feeling looking up at a blue sky, you're half dressed. You have no clue where your car is. You don't, you really don't know where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it to, or what you've done to yourself. And, um, I don't know if it was that little boy inside me. I don't know if it was my blood, my soul. I don't know if it was God, uh, speaking to me, man, but something in my voice said this, if you don't stop, you're going to die and you got to give it up. And it was like, you really got to get up. And when I say get up, you got to get up. You got to move. Um, because and I think there was a moment of clarity to, uh, seriously, I was like, how much wake of destruction have I left behind me? And is this what life is? This is what I was born to be. And is, is this who I want to be? And so there was all these voices, what I would call of goodness, of accountability. And I just remember staring up at that blue sky thinking, my God, how did I get here? And I worked so hard to get out of that neighborhood. I worked so hard to get out of that jail cell. I worked so hard to get out of that factory. But here I am again, and how many chances am I going to get? And um, I didn't think I got I – I honestly, I didn't think I was going to get another chance. And so I was scared to death and, you know, trying to put the pieces together. And it was, it was a really ugly sight, man. And, um, and uh, what was cool about that – and I'll, I'll, this is a side digression, but it's actually a, a good digression – is – Clearly, my wife and I were going through marriage counseling. Uh, who knows why, right? You know, who knew? <laughs> That's why we're going through marriage counseling. Because clearly, we had it all together at that time. Um, but I remember the psychologist would say, hey, man, Heather, you know, you need to stay at home. And Tommy, will you come in by yourself? And I'm like, he's going to tell me she's crazy. You know, that, like she's the problem. <laughs> wow. And they, what, they, what the truth was is they saw the darkness. They saw how closed I was, how I couldn't feel. And they, they knew there was some sort of story I was telling myself. But I remember the last um, marriage counselor we had that he goes, brother, there's a, 
there is a facility in Tennessee that can do for me more for you in seven days than I can do in 10 years. And I remembered that. And within two weeks I was there and it was the, one of the best experiences of my entire life. So what were some of the epiphanies that occurred during the, those seven days? That I wasn't alone. Um, that's what I thought. You know, I thought I was a freak in my head. I thought these desires, this darkness, these insecurities, these fears, this, 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 I'm not enough. Um, that I was alone. There was, <clears throat> there was literally a rock star from England there that everybody on this radio show, we have kind of a confidential thing, but there was literally a, a huge rock star from England there. There was three CEOs there. There was some big athletes there. The place was expensive as shit, as you could probably imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. People were there. <laughs> but what was cool though, um, there was also, and it wasn't a rehab or anything like that. It was more like of an emotional awakening and a, a mental awakening. But there was also what was cool about it is they, it was a big group of 30 and then they would break you into small groups of five. And then they did a lot of individual stuff. So in the big groups and small groups, what you realized and everybody, they cut you open for about three days. They do it very gracefully. They don't just come in and say emotionally vomit on us. Cause we'd all be like, we'd all hang them the bird. None of us were there because <laughs> we wanted to be there. Um, but they do it in a very graceful, fun, um, way they kind of cut you open for three or four days in big groups small groups and eventually and they start putting you back together but the epiphanies was you're not alone you hear stories and fears and uh family life because you know no one's there because their family life was great um and so you realize you're not alone you realize there's other people out there struggling they give you courage. They give you confidence. But the most important thing they gave me, and I was ready. You got to be ready, though. Some of those mm -hmm. folks weren't ready. Right. So it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. I was ready. So they gave me, for lack of a better word, tools and a prescription of do X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C, and it will start getting better from coaching to therapy to readings to journaling and a few other things. Um, went back to therapist and worked on some of that crap from my youth and um, I actually came back and did another week for, uh, and I'll just go ahead and say it because not enough men are saying it uh, for sexually abused men. And uh, that's hard for a lot of guys to talk about, but that, that was a rough week as well, because then you realize, you know, why the things that happen to you happen. And so um, it was the best seven days of my life, man. And that was almost, how old am I now? 47. So that was almost 11 years ago, brother. And I'm telling you since then, you know, back then I would take two steps forward, eight back. Now it's literally eight steps forward and two back. I'm not saying this is what it sounds like to have it all going on. Cause I, you know, <laughs> inside there's still a lot of duct tape. There's still a lot of super glue, <laughs> um, but it, it works a lot better than it did prior. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate you saying that about um, the sexual abuse, because that is something that we as men almost can't talk about. And so many men are silently dying inside. And if you are one of those men, like, please contact Tommy, contact me. I don't know if I can put you on the hook for that, Tommy, but I just did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd love it. I'd love it. Because you are not alone and life can be different for you. You can heal and, but, God, admitting it is the hardest motherfucking thing that a man can do, but there is help to be found out there. Yeah, there's a lot of great help out there, and I, I, I know exactly one place that is beautiful on that help, and you know, it, not only do we think we're alone, we think these desires, these fears, these insecurities, these horrors, and the way it manifests in our life sometimes is really ugly, and um, especially in our relationships and, and uh, some other things that we crave as men, right? And so, um, not dealing with it, like you said, could eventually, it, it might, it might not physically kill you, but it can emotionally and spiritually and mentally kill you. So, you know, know you're not alone. Know there's a millions of us out there and we've got to start talking. We've got to start taking action, but we also honestly, not to be mean, but at a certain point, we got to look in the mirror and know that's the problem and the solution. And we've got to go out there and ask for help. And so many of us guys, we think asking for help is weakness or they don't think we're a freak or, um, you know, we can't, we don't want to show loose face because we, as men, we crave respect, power, and status. Right. And if we have to open up the kimono and say, I don't have it figured out, or these things have happened to me, or I've made these mistakes. Um, but until we seek and take action for help, 
um, and then actually hold ourselves accountable to doing the things that will help us, it, 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 nothing's going to change and it, it will eat you inside out. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. So talk us through your, in your career, you're killing it and you're like, fuck it. I ain't doing this anymore. I'm going to go do what I want to do. What talk us through that evolution. Yeah. My wife would give you a different story. So it might be better to interview her. Um, so here's the way I saw it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, here's the problem is, you know, when I started living with integrity, when I, when I went from being one of the most despised people in the firm to one of the most beloved, when I'm, stopped working so much and start caring, you know, leading myself and leading others. And I mean, we shot, I mean, my income doubled and, and I was, I made it to the top, top of the firm in the game. I mean, I was on the board, I was an owner and this is a big firm in the Southeast. It wasn't Deloitte. It was a different firm, but my financial security was massively set because I was only 30, 39 years old at that time. And, you know, I had 30 more years of very, very, could be, you know, financial and wealth and prestige and that status and all that stuff we crave. But man, I just didn't like it. I felt like every time I walked through the door, I felt like they're, you know, not that they're bad people, but their goals and values and systems were different than mine. Mm -hmm. And once you become aware, you cannot become aware, unaware. And so I knew who I was. I knew where I wanted to go. I knew what they valued. I knew what I valued. And so honestly, I felt like the cancer. Like I, you know, and I wanted to, to live my truth and be honest every single day of my life. And I felt like if I would have stayed just for the money, I would have been somewhat of a cancer and taking advantage of them and not living. And I, I honestly, I hated it. I hated that world. I hated the world of going in and devaluing companies and tearing them apart. I hated going in and financially auditing everything from A to Z and telling everybody how much their work doing sucked <laughs> um, and getting paid a fucking fortune to do it. And it's just a screwed up system and world, man. And that, that's just my view. I mean, I'm not here to knock that system, but um, that's not because I've still got all my buddies are still kind of in that world. Hell, all my clients are in that world. So, <laughs> um, or they're entrepreneurs, right? And so um, <laughs> I had this unbelievable coach, uh, not a psychologist, a coach, you know, it was a career coach because I was like, and I also didn't want to live life with regrets. I just knew that career wasn't for me. But the problem is I made like 65% of our household income. And so just taking that away in one day is not what really my wife wanted me to do. <laughs> um, but I remember I had this unbelievable coaching session. And, man, I was just fired up and psyched up. And I'm like, I'm going in and fucking quitting. And I jumped in my Jeep and I'm driving up Peachtree Street. You guys, if you've been to Atlanta, there's 3,000 Peachtree Streets. Um, and so I called my wife. And what I didn't realize, man, it was, uh, it was Valentine's Day. And I didn't realize till later that day it was Valentine's Day. Oh. Um, I call her up. I'm like, I'm going to quit. You know, I'm just going to quit. And I was an owner. You just don't walk in and walk away. I mean, there's legalities and other stuff. And uh, she's like, you know, we talked about this and, you know, I thought it was going to be in October when we prepared. I was like, no, we got to do it today. We got to do it today, woman. And um, <laughs> so here we are. I walk in and I quit. And the guy that my, my fellow board member and senior partner, he's like, you're an idiot. And he, he thought he at first he thought I was joking. You know, he's laughing. He's like, oh, that's funny, man. You know, I don't have time for this today. And he, he realized I wasn't serious. I was serious. And he literally clears his whole morning for me. He might have cleared the whole day. I can't write. It's been a while. And he just talked to me and talked to me and talked to me. And he kept throwing about money. You know, you're the, look how young you are. You're one of our youngest partners ever. You're definitely one of our youngest board members ever. Look at how much money you're going to make. You're going to throw away everything, all you went to school for and all these certifications and all these things. And he just kept talking about money and he wasn't listening to me. And I was like, look, man, my soul is not for sale and I just can't be. And I started telling what I told you, look, I don't want to be here. I don't want to recruit for you. I don't want to sell for you. I don't want to do the work anymore. Why would you want to keep me here just because you see the talent? I, but with talent without desire is useless, man. And, um, and so eventually he's like, let go. And then he sent me a bunch of emails and texts over the weekend, basically telling me I'm an effing idiot and all this other stuff. And, um, he was one of my mentors in the firm too. So that it kind of sealed the deal for me. Like, yeah, okay. I, I see where your priorities are. Yeah. Um, so that Monday morning, um, I went into the actual board cause we had a board meeting and, um, we started putting together a package. It took me about four or five months to leave because I had to sell equity and transfer clients and all this other blah, 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 useless stuff that nobody cares about. 
but man, there it was at uh, May one. I was a, you know, our income dropped sixty percent. I didn't have a job. I uh, thought I knew where I wanted to go in life and um, messed that all up. So I'm one of those entrepreneurs <laughs> who screwed it up about five or six times. But the signs were always there because my network of entrepreneurs, corporate executives, lawyers, bankers, athletes, um, and other people just kept reaching out to me asking for mentorship or asking for me just to hold space for them. So I think one of my superpowers is deep listening and non-judgment and, uh, and being able to hear what's not being said and help. And I realized over time, I'm like, well, this is my calling. Go here. And so I doubled down on that. And here we are three years later, man. And it's just been one hell of a beautiful ride. And I think you guys know, I think you guys said it less. Men, we think we want power, status, um, and respect. Because let me tell you why we crave those things. Because that's what God has laid. <laughs> that's what got us to the top of the game, Hell man. Yes. I'm talking about thousands of years ago. You wanted the the <laughs> hot woman in the tribe. You got to be at the top of the tribe. And so we we crave it and we'll do anything to get it at the cost of our family, at the cost of our health, at the cost of all these things, man. And I, th- I still think all those things are important because it validates us as men. We're never going to get that out of our DNA. But the whole point of it is not to do it in lieu of your time not to do it in lieu of your, your significant other, your family, your friends, your experiences. Because us men, we think more, when I have this, or when I have more, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Or when I get here, I'll do this. And more and when never get there. And so I'm not here to tell them money's bad. I'm not here to tell them being successful is bad. Because shit, I still crave that stuff and I still shoot for it, man. Um, you're not going to get the ambition out of us. But what we do is give them community. What we do is give them connection. What we do is hold an ecosystem to where they know they're not alone and they can ask for help. My daughter needs help in this. I need help. I don't have this answer in my business. I'm carrying this profit pressure and I've got all this debt and I don't know what to do next. What do I do next? And we've, we've built an ecosystem of men who can go deep, who can build trust. I'm not talking about emotionally vomiting. I'm talking about accountability deepness, authenticity, but also action to help these guys be better leaders, fathers, husbands, men, and understand the burdens that they carry. And so you guys said it best, men need need other great male men in their life. You hang out with five drunks, you're going to be a drunk. You hang out with five assholes, you're going to be an asshole. And so this is not those people. These are the people who are seekers. These are people who want to heal and want to be better each and every day. And so that's what I'm super psyched about. And it's interesting to hear you say those things, Tommy, because the American Psychological Association, and you may know this, released a study about two years ago, and their conclusions were, and the study was prompted because men are great at two things, addiction and suicide. And those are things that we do not want to be great at. And the conclusions of their study was, one, the number one crisis for men is exactly what you said. Our only orientation to reality is success, power, achievement. You achieve a goal, you set a new goal, and then you just keep speeding the treadmill up. The second one is we have an inability to feel and communicate vulnerable emotions. We're good at anger and laughter, but sadness, insecurity, those kinds of things, we don't want to acknowledge them that they're there. And the third one, and this is what I thought was most interesting, was that men suffer from an enormous lack of emotional and physical support from other men. That study is one million percent right. I had not read that or heard that, but see, the the good news is, well, good and bad news is I live it every single day. Right. I mean, it is every single day of my life. And it's no longer anecdotal. It's data. Um, when, you know, the, the cravings of what they think is going to bring them happiness or peace of mind or joy or fulfillment, or I don't like the word contentment or purpose in their lives. And brother, the sad point, the the first one you made out is addiction and, um, uh, addiction and suicide, Suicide, man. man. I'm telling you this last couple of years, especially coming in and out of this pandemic and the pressures and social pressures and political pressures. I can't tell you how many men who have either had an integrity breach or want to make a change or problem in their marriage or with their children. You know, I'm in the coaching business. I'm not in the therapy business. I, we draw lines in the sand and move people forward. They're, the therapist helped in the past, right? 
But um, it's just interesting to me, the data, how much, and it's sad, how many of these men have said, I'm going to take my life or how many funerals I've been to or second or third, you know, I'm hearing about the law partner who comes in his office and shoots himself. And, and it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, addiction is rampant. Let me tell you the addictions though. are It isn't just what you think. It's just not porn and, 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 and drugs and alcohol, man, it's, it's overspending. I mean, there's the, the addictive personality, overworking, gambling, you name it. There's all, I call them the 11 horsemen <laughs> and they just chew us men up and porn right now and sex outside of marriage and emotional affairs and People just want to feel good. They want to feel, even men, we think it's respect, power, and status, but really we're just little boys who want to be seen, heard, and loved. And we think when we numb ourselves, it feels good. Or when we have this sexual experience or this porn experience or whatever, or gambling and, you know, gambling is about competitiveness. It's just like business, right? It's a high. You you wouldn't gamble if you knew you were going to win. The whole point is like, (laughs) you don't know if you're going to win. And so it's amazing how much I see that in my work. And and I'm telling you, these are great, powerful, good men who want to make impact in the world. They're just lost and don't know how. And once you get down that road, and I'm telling you from lacking connection, lacking communication, lacking authenticity, and leading to deep, dark places and problems in the family, and ultimately – you see it manifest in their children and what we're trying to do. We're not trying. I hate that word. Try what (laughs) we're doing. What we're doing is cutting that chain. Enough is enough. Let's, let's, let's refocus. Let's put us first. Let's put your family and network second and your friends. Let's put those second. And then as a result of one and two, I promise you happiness, success, joy, and ultimate fulfillment whatever that means, will come. That's tremendous. You know, you brought up something about uh, Tony earlier, uh, you know, the guy in prison that took you in. I'm wondering if if that's something that we as men need to consider reaching out to other men, because it sounds like guys come to you, but I don't think a lot of guys are doing that. Yeah, they're not. And so what I do, and I hope I've done it well on the show, and and if I haven't, uh, by the way, these these, these guys have been great for me. I was about 15 minutes late because I was just all screwed up. And, and I, my thing is I show up and these guys have been nothing but great. And, and just think, I'm going to just call you out for just being good men. Um, but thank you because I come in hot. I'm so passionate about this topic. It is so freaking hard for men to ask for help. I mean, you might as well cut off our left nut. Right. And so um, what I do and what Tony did, and there's a time to do this and a time to not. You don't want to, I love the word authenticity. Authenticity does not mean you need to be emotionally vomiting on people when it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So leaders do not walk into your companies and start telling them about all your dirty, dark secrets. That's called emotionally vomiting and it's bullshit. When authenticity is important, I'll tell you what I do to help men open up. I give them the gift of going second. When they have the courage enough to call me to either join our men's group or talk to me one-on-one or look at coming to a retreat or whatever it might be, because we're talking about leadership, business, relationships, life, forgiveness. We don't leave anything out. We take a holistic approach. When they have the courage to at least call me and have a one-on-one private conversation, here's what I do and here's what Tony did. I give them the gift of going second. I tell them my story. When it's appropriate, I tell them parts of my story when it's appropriate. I tell them, and I'm not sharing opinions, I'm sharing wisdom. Here's what happened. Here's what I did or what someone else did. Here was the result. Here was the absolute chaos that I created because of that. And when I started taking action, here's what it looks like now. That's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, opinion is like you should the moment you say should that's an opinion and guys don't want to hear that gals don't want to hear that and your marriage definitely doesn't want to hear that should <laughs> is an opinion sure. and that's a shaming word <laughs> but what I do and what Tony did is he's basically you let them know they're not alone you let them know there's another group of men they could connect with including yours truly you know that there's going to be no judgment this is a safe place you know that we're going to share wisdom and not opinions, and we're going to walk. We're going to give you our perspective and what we've done, and we're going to we're going to stand next to you. We're no gurus. We're not sages on the stage. We're not psychologists. We don't have all the answers, but as a group, our our eight minds will become one. Our eight souls will become one, and we will walk with you as long as you're a net giver, 
as long as you lead with love, as long as you're ready to share wisdom and not opinions, and as long as it's not about you, we're in a narcissistic, you know, we, the me <laughs> monsters are out there. Me, 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 me. As long as you want to make, leave some legacy and some level of significance, or maybe this people and the planet a little bit better than you found it, then we're all in on you, man. But the courage, and you said it best, the courage is the, the moment they walk through the door, we got them. But that walking through the door it, or making that phone call or sending that email, it is so damn hard, man. Yeah. I always tell guys that courage can only exist where fear is present. If I ain't scared Amen. shitless, I don't need courage. I'm just doing whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, the, but courage kicks in when I say that my action is going to be greater than my fear. And it, it, is, it, it is an incredible act of courage for men to ask for help. Uh, and it's nothing, it's nothing else other than courage. That's all it is. Yeah. And I think the great Winston Churchill said, courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and taking a step forward anyway. Yeah. Talk about a man who had to live with some courage. So right. I'm totally with you, man. Yeah. Totally with you, man. Yeah. So tell us about the book, man. Yeah, brother. So it was interesting. That book was three years of a blood fist fight and uh, <laughs> war with myself. Um, the perfectionism kicked in. The not good enoughs kicked in. The arrogance cooked in. And for three years, the book was all about me. And what a, what a shitty book that would have been. <laughs> And the true story, true story. And I sent a Jerry Maguire email to my publisher, my editors, <laughs> and uh, my, my wife and some other consultants that were helping me with a book, basically saying, I suck, this sucks, you suck. Getting my goldfish and walking out the door, you know, like Jerry Maguire did. And uh, true story, I called my wife. She's in Chicago. And I'm like, man, this book sucks. Bubba. And she said, yeah, I could tell she was asleep. She was like, yeah, baby, okay. You know, I'm, I'm dropping F-bombs like there's no tomorrow. And so I sit there, I sit down and have a pity party on my couch. And there may or may not have been some bourbon in that pity party. I'm just going to call it out. <laughs> and I'm not, I don't know what happened. And in that, and I'd already sent the email and it was not good. Um, so this is, this is post-mortem. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, but literally in, in my heart, something said, write the book for what you needed or what people need to live better, to be better, to give hope, to take action. And when I took me away, and that's when the title legendary, and I'll tell you how that came about in a minute. When I took it from, from writing for two years and seven months, just a complete work of garbage mm -hmm. in three months. And I asked for the editors and publishers, and, and these people were all over the country. I asked for them to meet me and they were like, oh God, now he wants to meet. I sent one email. Now I've sent a drunk email asking them to meet me. <laughs> And when they meet me in the morning, they all agreed, which was remarkable. Um, I couldn't believe it. Um, they all, so that morning, we, uh, I showed them the outline of the new book, and I showed them the title of the new book, and they were like, yes. And so we basically, I wrote that book in three months because it was just about heart, soul, and blood. And the things my clients, myself, people who have inspired me, the book's got seven pages of me in it, which is <laughs> perfect. That's probably six too many. Um, but it's about great stories, simple actions, and tools that people, if they do these things, they will leave a life of lasting legacy. They will live with purpose. They will have more intimate relationships with their significant others, their family, and their friends. They will have more time in their lives. God willing, they will have more money and build a financial fortress in their life. So we basically take a holistic approach of things that I've applied, things that I've used, things that were taught to me, and they're simple, they're actionable, it's fun stories. And, and I think that's why it's done so well. I think that's why it's became a Wall Street bestseller is it's needed. It's not a luxury item. It's a necessity right now, but it is, it is actionable. It is a simple read. If you don't mind my voice, I will read it to you on Audible if you're not a reader. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think in, here's why I chose the word legendary. If, if it's a word that's used a lot, but it's not a word, you know, we're in this world of, in social media of, you know, I'm Instagram fabulous and all this stuff. And so everybody's putting out them fake selves on social media and LinkedIn, <clears throat> but legendary, you can be a great legend or a bad legend. You can be an MLK type legend. You can be a Winston Churchill legend, or you can be a really bad legend and we know who they are. Legendary is given to us and you don't have to be rich or famous or world changing. You just got to be getting up every morning and being a net giver, being a server, starting with yourself, investing in yourself first. But hopefully when you leave this world, you left it a little bit better than you found it. 
you left this, the people around you a little bit better so that when you leave and we, here's one thing we all have in common is we're going to die. <laughs> we, whether we like it or not, we're not going to be here forever. And this is a short, precious life <clears throat> is that this book is about more time, more money, more purpose, just really more of all the goodness and not the negativity so that when we walk away, God willing, and it could just be our next door neighbor said, man, that guy really, really was a legend and helped me so much. And that's why the book legendary, is something that's given to us. If I said, Tommy breed loves a legend, you guys, you guys would like hang me a bird and laugh, <laughs> but it's something I aspire to be. And I aspire to, to leave something better than I found it. And I believe through the work in this book, we're working toward that really hard. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think it, it, but the thing about it, man, your fucking story, cause you ain't asking anybody to do what you haven't already done. That's right. Like I have That's been right. to the bottom. I have been to the belly of the well, you know, you're not some dude that's like took some kind of life coaching class and got some fucking certificate. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> he got it. All right. In fact, all my accounting and business degrees are quite worthless these days. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's um, the thing, man. Yeah. It's just, it, it is, it is road experience, man. It is the scars. It is the blood. It is the mistakes. It is having all the money, losing it, having all the money, losing it, having all the integrity, losing it. <laughs> Dude. It is road proven, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah uh, so, um, can we ask another serious question? Or are we? I don't know. You can ask whatever How are we want. doing on I'm time? Here. Are you good? Like I I'm don't good. Even know. You know, I'm going to make time because you guys were so kind. <laughs> okay. If I'm uh, going to be 15 minutes late, I'm going to make it consistent through the day. And I'm okay. probably for whoever's listening. My th one of my mantras is protect and defend this fort, and we show up. Mm -hmm. And I showed up. I just happened to be 15 minutes late. No worries, man. Okay, we'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell us how you um, deal with your relationship with your wife, like. How do you make that an important thing? Tell us some specifics about how you weave that in. I'll tell you, I'll start with what our problem is this day um, because we never have it all figured out. And then I'm going to tell you what she did with me. And it has, it has changed the face of our marriage. It has changed the safe face of our sex life. And by the way, 80% of men are unsatisfied in their sex life. That is data. That is not anecdotal. So let me tell you where we're struggling right now is we're on a rocket ship ride. Um, she's a, a big executive in a big company. And uh, eventually she's going to leave and, and come do this work with me on the women's side. Um, but we've got real estate. We've got a lodge that's a part of what I do that she runs. There's a lodge that's part of the retreat and conference. And it's also an operating bed and breakfast. And then you've got our my business that's exploding. Our struggle is there's, there's so many intricacies and employees and legalities and demands and pressures is our struggle is we've become business partners and not husband and wife. And so um, we work with people. We're constantly having communications. We'll have date nights to where there's no, we don't have children. We can't talk about a business item. We're not allowed to talk about this on this date. We can't yeah. do it. Um, we just got back from Mexico for eight days and we made a commitment to each other. No email, no social media, no business talk. Cause we've got great people helping us. You know, we're surrounded by an ecosystem who believes in what we're doing. And it was the most refreshing eight days. So we step, we got so down in it. We had to step away for eight days and refind us. And we've become masterful at over communicating and man, I need to be told how great I am 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. And that exhausts her. Her love language is not affirmation words. Her love language is show the hell up, Tommy. So I've done a pretty good job of that. I show the hell up. Yeah. But she's terrible at words of affirmation. So I got this best friend called Chris Tuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I call him and he gives me all the affirmation. He tells me how great I am all day long. So um, <clears throat> we over communicate. But let me tell you what we did. Because marriage is hard, man. And for people who, and, and that's, I'd say, I'd say, here's what, if you had to ask the discussions that we talk about and it's leadership, business relationships with their wives or lack of it and certain issues with children. And that that's really kind of the gamut. Of, if you had to statistically say what the work I do is most is mm -hmm. that. Um, but here's what she did. She made a cool choice. And she also wanted to figure herself out. Why would she allow that behavior? Why did she stay in the relationship? Mm -hmm. Why was there some codependence? So she started doing the work and climbing the mountain with me. And I use that analogy. When you get in personal development and coaching and therapy, and you just want to be a little bit better, you start climbing a mountain. You become aware. 
-hmm. and your language changes, your energy changes, your dynamic changes, what you do changes, your habits change. And if your friends, family, and a significant other don't do that, they're not climbing the mountain. They're standing on the ground Mm -hmm. and their view is not the same. Their attitude is not the same. Their hope is not the same. So she chose to walk this journey with me. So she hired a coach. She went to the same place in Tennessee um, and we were committed to <clears throat> drawing a line in the sand and not beating each other up about what we've done. In the past. We can't go that way. That's why the rearview mirror is so small. <laughs> we're not going backwards. Right, right. Um, so there has to be, and we did a lot of work around forgiveness, a lot of work around letting go. And you know what I loved about her, man? And she says this, and this is a true story. I, I didn't believe any of this shit when she told me, but I started <laughs> to believe it now. But she said she fell in love with me the first time she saw me, which I don't know if she was just blind or what, but she, um, <laughs> but, but she, she also said, you know, Tommy, I loved you more than when you couldn't love yourself. And so she always saw that I rooted for the underdog. Wait I was a minute. Underdog. You she gotta say saw. that, say that line again. God damn. That was fucking, what did she yeah, say? I'll say it again. She <laughs> goes, you know, you know, I loved you, man, when you couldn't love yourself. And I thought that yeah, was a beautiful thing. She saw it because she saw the goodness where I couldn't. Yeah. And so, um, we actively, so we do, we also, this is going to sound overboard, but I'm just going to tell you what we do. Um, the beginning of every year, what do we want our fun life to look like? What do we want our travel to look like? What do we want our businesses to look like? And we plan it together. And sometimes we don't agree, but here's another, here's another ninja trick or what I call a pro tip, a pro tip (laughs) is I am actively, I hang out with my, my guys. I've got this group of 10 guys that are kind of my inner circle. They're good dudes. And we take mancations, we go on retreats, we go golfing, we go, you know, we go out to Mexico, we go fishing and she does it with her women as well. So we, we're not always on top of each other and expecting us to be fulfilled with each other. We're constantly hanging out and getting nurtured from our friends and getting away and, and doing that as well. And I think over communicating, I think honesty, I think vulnerability, um, there's a reason we were given two ears and one mouth. That's women and men. We got to start, mm-hmm. got to stop talking so much, start listening. <clears throat> and by the way, for men, this is for the men out there. Women don't want to be fixed and they don't <laughs> want you fixing shit. Yeah. They don't want you fixing shit. <laughs> they don't want you to come in on your white horse and solve their problem. They just want you to listen to their problem and shut up. So there, there's just some ninja trick. There's some yeah. pro tips as well. Easier said than done, but exactly oh, fucking right. <laughs> What I do with, I always try to fix things and it never works. What I do with guys in therapy is I make them repeat back word for word what their wife said. And I tell her it's pass fail. Like there's, it's like a hundred percent right or it's a hundred percent wrong. And, and so for a guy to sit there and not get all panicked because, you know, and like, oh, shit, oh, shit, and just actually say back to her, this is what I heard you say, is that what you're wanting me to hear? And that's what she wants, man. She wants you to fucking listen. She just wants you to understand, and then she wants you to shut the fuck up. It's really that simple. It is that. But That's simple world-class is not, advice, guys. World simple class is advice. not easy, but dude, bite the inside of your fucking jaw if you have to. Just shut up. And here's the, let, let's maybe put some, let me put some chocolate cake or a beer in front of them so it helps them. Yeah, so right. Right. Here's, here's the result of that. A whole lot better sex. So just, just go you with it. You will get laid. You will get laid. And she'll be into it. She won't, it won't be pity sex. She's going to be totally fucking into it. Jeez. Oh, that's world-class. World it's a solvable class. problem, fellas. And, and to hear you say that, what, what's so incredible about that, Tommy, is how intentional you guys are about your marriage. And that is one thing that I, it's like people come to me and it's like, well, what have you, what have you done to try to make your marriage better? Nothing. Right. It's like, it's like we get married and then we just stop. And you have to be as intentional about your relationship as you are everything else, hopefully more, or you're going to have a shitty relationship. And the mortality rate is 100%. We only get one pass through this thing, and there's no more fucking time. You don't get any more of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And it's it's a sad but 
more more true than not is we're so different than we are at home than we are at work because we want to be we've got to put on these masks and face and look perfect at work and then we go home and we're shitheads and as long as you don't lose the why of there was always this feeling of you know when we first meet there's the sexual energy where we're rabbits but there's also the butterflies and the love and the attraction and um, you know, and people think we all age and we all start looking different and we get content and it's easy to, to not go there. We think the other person, man or woman is going to be there the rest of our life. And the truth is if, if they had enough, it is enough, they will leave us and happiness. If you truly want to be happy and joyful and fulfilled again, I believe it starts with you. You've got to do the, the hard work with your heart, hard work with your mind, your body. But then you got to do the hard work in your marriage and the greener grass that you see on on TV or media or movies. It's fake. It's not real. It's fake grass. Um, that's why it's so damn green. <laughs> and we all struggle with relationships. We all struggle with relationships with our children, relationships with our boss, relationships with our friends. Because there's a human being and we are beautifully, beautifully flawed, insecure, and got all our scars and warts and everything else. But there's a reason we fell in love with each other. There's a reason that particular person, you know, I'll use Jerry Maguire again. We're just going to go with that movie today. Completed (laughs) you at that time. Um, But with hard work, with over-communication, we fell back in love. I mean, she was closed for business. I mean, for years. I mean, there was... You know, the damage was done, but through hard work, through coaching, through great marriage counseling and therapy, through taking action and, and being committed to the steps they gave us, we were able to fall back in love. And, I, we, and, we, and it's peaks and valleys, right? I'm not saying this is what it's like to have it all going on. We have our moments. We have our months. We have our weeks. But eventually, we, we do a check-in. And when we check in, we're real, authentic. Where could I love you better? Yeah. What yeah. would you rate our marriage right now? We check in and then we take action. And so it, it is work, but it's it, the work. Nothing in life comes easy, man. It's easy to eat a piece of cheesecake. It's easy <laughs> to watch porn. It's easy to have 16 shots of whiskey with horrible results. Yeah. Being better in business, being better in life, being better. That's hard work. <clears throat> that's why, you know, we think, you know, Beyonce, you know, she was born, you know, blah. No, she worked her ass off to get there, right? It's same thing in your relationships, same things in life, same things in success and work. People are just lazy, man. And that's the sad, that's what really, I love people. I don't like them at all <laughs> because it just frustrates the shit out of me to see everybody can boast want. And that just pisses me off. Yeah. And I think part of that is so related with our fucking infatuation with happiness. It's like, you got to be happy all the goddamn time. And it's, and it's like, guess what? When you have to put forth effort, you ain't going to be fucking smiling, man. It fucking sucks. And if you're not willing to do the work doing the reps and feel the discomfort in whatever it is at the gym, in a conversation with your wife, Quitting your fucking job and going doing something that you really want to do ain't one of those fucking things easy. Doing the reps, man. Doing the reps. I mean, it, and here's how confidence is built. Confidence is built through reps. Self-esteem is cultivated. Confidence is about doing the reps. So if you want to be confident in business, you want to be confident on the court, you want to be confident in life, you want to be confident when you're re- confident in your relationship, you got to do the reps. You got to do the hard work. You got to, I call it the mental gym, the spiritual gym, the emotional gym, and the physical gym. You got to do the work because just like that analogy, if you don't work out, your muscles atrophy. If you don't do the, the, if you don't shoot the basketball, you're, you're going to miss a lot. And, you know, I'm a Hawks fan, by the way. Game <laughs> six is coming up. Good time to be a um, Hawks fan. Yeah. Hey, hey, who knew? Right. But at the end of the day, those <laughs> guys are working their ass off. Um, but here, here's, um, you, you've, uh, there was, I was just going to go on a tangent there, but you're totally right, man. In order to be, and happiness is a, happiness is a journey, man, because life is tough. Life is tough. There's sickness, mm-hmm. there's political, there's social issues. People are kind of self-centered and assholes and um, not all of us, you know, some of us are net givers, but in order to find joy, fulfillment, significance, purpose, love, good health, courage, patience, um, you got to do the work. That's where confidence comes in. And if you really want to have that self-esteem to where your head up and shoulders back, you feel that courage, you feel that patience, you feel that presence that's cultivated. 
that's cultivated mm-hmm. through the emotional and mental reps, mm-hmm. through coaching, through therapy, through reading, through gratitude, through meditation. I can give you a thousand tools. You got to find your flavor. Mm-hmm. There's a different, there's a thousand flavors out mm-hmm. there. If you like strawberry, go find it. But I'm telling you, you can cultivate that. So to me, and I'm going to reiterate it because I think it's so damn important. It's not selfish. It's selfless. We got to start with ourselves first because we can't love others until we love ourselves. We can't lead others till we lead ourselves. We can't be strong until we strengthen ourselves. And I'm talking inside and out. Mm. Second is our family. Third is our friends and network. And fourth is our business and success. And if we do one through three right, promise you four and five will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got time to ask you about one more thing? Totally, brother. Okay. I, I don't, none of my people are here. So I'm literally at a little vacation <laughs> okay, cool, place. Cool, cool. So I don't know how late I am for anything. So let's rock. Okay. <laughs> well, you and I are both kindred spirits in terms of the authentic self. Um, I, I'm, that's one of my primary tenets when I work with people is helping them find the authentic self. I'd just like to hear you speak to that a little bit, what that means to you, your process for that. Um, yeah. Your thoughts on that issue. Yeah. In order to find your authentic self, it, it, to me, it's a, it's a, a place to where you got to look in the mirror hard, um, uh, for me and, um, yes, I'm authentic, but I'm always working on something. Right. Um, and so for me, I, you got to ask yourself questions and you got to get real quiet, real deep and real intentional about this is when you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? When you look in the mirror, are you out there living your truth? And I'm not talking this righteous, rude shit that's all over the news and media right now. I'm talking about your truth and your value systems, your core values, your non-negotiables. When you look in the mirror and you show up in the world and you show up at your house, are you living your core values or are you living what someone else wants you to live? Is your career something you want to do or is it something someone else told you to do? Are you happy or are you angry? Are you scared or are you on the side of love? Are you constantly judging people or do you see the goodness, love, and learnings in everything in every situation? And those are some keys to ask yourself. So when I look in the mirror or I'm working, by the way, I'm in the coaching business. I have a coach. I run masterminds. I'm in a mastermind. I have a therapist. So I, I walk this walk too. I'm not out here just being some fucking guru because I'm <laughs> definitely not that. Um, now, you know, I got all the duct tape and super glue that we <laughs> talk about, but it's getting stronger. Um, <clears throat> so for me, authenticity is about asking yourself those questions. Are you showing up in the world, living your authentic truth? Not, and here's another good question. Are you living a story that you're telling yourself or a story someone else told you, or are you writing your own story? Mm-hmm. So, so many of us are told these stories of, you know, they're either given to us or, and then we start believing them, right? We start, oh, I'm not this. I'll never be this. Oh, this person has this because they were lucky or that politician out there is screwing up my life. No, they're not. They don't give two shits about you. The politicians <laughs> care about the politicians. You got to do you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are ways to show. I, so my authentic self is, am I living in my integrity? Am I living in my core values? Am I showing up every day? Am I catering to what other people think or am I catering to myself? Um, am I living in fear? Am I scared and worried all the time or am I living in love? Do I see the love and goodness of what's happening? Do I always see the negative? And so that's a whole lot. I mean, we could do 10 shows on that. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's about living your life and not your story, living your core values and not someone else's core values and working hard at not having regrets being able to lay your head down at night. Did you tell the truth? Did you show up? And did you do the best you could on that day? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's living your authentic self. Well, and to your point, Tommy, the tools are the tools. If you have a coach that doesn't have a coach, fucking fire them. If you've got <laughs> a therapist that's not doesn't have a therapist, fucking fire them. Because the, tool, the tools are the tools. And if your person ain't using the tools, they're a fucking fraud. So oh, get you a great. new one. <laughs> That's great. And that's the hard part. That's why people are so distrustful. You know, we're, we're distrustful because our politicians say one thing and do another. Oh. Our churches and synagogues say one thing and do another. And then the damn coaches out there are charlatans. And I'm not calling out. There's a lot. Man, I've had world-class coaches. And Nancy Vito, St. Nancy, I call her. I'm working with Darren Hardy now. 
Um, and I've had some world-class therapists. I've got a Buddhist therapist, man, I think was Yoda in a form. Oh. Um, I mean, <laughs> when the man speaks, Adam Funderburk, I'm getting a call out right now. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I just did. Um, I think I can, I think he can't. Um, but, uh, I mean, these guys and gals, just make me better but they also truthfully they kick me in the face when they're like you're drinking your own kool-aid brother this right. is bullshit <laughs> what you're seeing is not reality so i love it man i right. i, I it, if i could i wish i could touch people and let them know when i was in that corner office in that fancy suit how i felt and acted then and how i feel and acted now it is almost 180 degrees man and i'm, I'm with you you, you got to it's not just talking the talk it's walking the walk and mm -hmm. you got to be around people who are doing the work as well yep. yeah yeah well, I got one more question. <laughs> you mentioned uh, a goal in your book a few times, and I'm just curious if you made any progress on it. <laughs> uh, you wanted Oprah to call you. <laughs> you even pleaded at the end. It was kind of embarrassing. Someone, please tell Oprah to call me. So how's that going hey, for I, you? Groveling is, I mean, you got to go, you got to use all the resources in your tool belt. The okay. end justifies the means, man, right? Like, but. <laughs> Well, here the the answer is a one hundred percent equivocal no. Oh. I have not I have not heard from oh. the big O. Well, we've got Paul. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> she's, she's got a little going on in her life. Um, uh, but here's the cool thing about that: I have set the intention. Uh -huh. I have taken the action by putting it in the book. And some of my friends and network and colleagues and people with a whole lot more influence than I have have really worked at doing that for me <laughs> right. and uh it has failed because i'm sure she's got a pretty strong fortress and yeah. a whole lot of people before you get to her uh, yeah. um but you know a lot i what i've never figured out is I, here's what i love about the big o is she arguably is probably one of the most influential inspirational authentic powerful people um, and I can't figure out why people can't see the good and all that she's done. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, we all, we're humans. We've got our, we got, we, you know, we're perfectly imperfect, but man, someone who has set the intention to help this world be better. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a, a finer speaking of legendary. So, you know, there's right. certain people I get really defensive of the big O's being the first. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't want to hear all your negativity about her. I want to hear it. Cause I see all the goodness. Right, right, My second right. one. And I'm just going to call as tiger Woods, and I'll fight you over that one. All right. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Those are those are good ones. Because I, 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 I see so much of me and my men and the struggles and how he was raised and the the demons that he had. Mm -hmm. He's just not alone. And I think we, as a society, I'm not saying we don't hold ourselves accountable. I've been held accountable to everything I've done. Mm -hmm. We hold ourselves accountable. We pay our dues. We we do our time or whatever that looks like. But eventually, we got to live, let go, and forgive as long as they're taking action to be better. And so, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Tiger yeah. guy. Well, here's yeah. what I'd say to any man out there that's judging Tiger Woods, okay? You be the most popular person on the planet with a fuck ton of money, can go anywhere, do anything you want. Women are throwing underwear at you. You put yourself <laughs> in those circumstances because I would have been dead by 21 and a half if I was <laughs> the universe knew what it was doing when I was not born Tiger Woods because I would have totally fucked that shit up <laughs> I mean me too brother me too <laughs> the fact that he held it together for so long and won so many tournaments during that that is legendary and yeah, the fucking yeah. resilience man I'm, I'm with you man I love the guy I can't imagine that that popularity that level that pressure I, that's a different breed. I think me and that environment would would go bad in a hurry. Um, and yeah, and people, I, you know, I have some celebrities as clients, especially on the one on one side, and um, the pressure, the can't go have a, a sandwich with your kid. Right. Um, yeah. Everybody's judging you and critiquing you. I mean, you could say good morning, and somebody somewhere is going to hear fuck you. I mean, all you said was good morning. Yeah. Um, and so it, I, it's. It's the, you know, I'm not here to knock on media either because I got folks in the media, but you know, we we're this over sensationalized and over prioritizing people who just work so hard to get so well at either music or, or, or business or in sport. And, you know, they work their ass off to get there. And at the end of the day, they are just people. And the reason they get paid so much is because we find it so entertaining. And so it's a double-edged sword for them. You know, it becomes their own prison. And people are like, why do, why do athletes hang out with athletes? Cause it's, it's, it's safe. 
You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. It's safe. It's sure. the tribe, man. And so I'm with you. We got to lighten up and let go and let live. And I'm not into this cancellation shit. I'm just going to say it. Dude. People make mistakes. People say things they regret. People do things they wish they hadn't done. And for us just to wipe them out, where's the love and forgiveness and light in that? I just, I'm an accountability guy, so don't get me wrong. When someone does something bad, they need to hold themselves accountable in society. But then let's give them the tools, action, and support to get them back on their two feet so they don't go out there and hurt themselves and keep doing it and or the worst, take their own lives. So we got to stop this cancellation shit. Uh, yes, yeah. I could go yeah. for hours on that one. But, uh, dude, this has been a fucking blast, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for it's taking great. the time. I mean, that was just incredible. Uh, Thank you, guys. I came in hot. I, you know, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting my shirts on. I'm getting ready for you guys. And I'm like, man, I'm late because I, you know, I, I like to be on time. And so, again, thank you for your love. Thank you for flexibility. Yeah. Thank you for letting me share. And this has been one of the best shows I've ever done. So I'm gonna, and I don't say that lightly. I'm not one to just give false praise. So thank you, gentlemen, for being you and and letting our voices shine today, man. I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Right, thank yeah. you as well. Thanks so much, Tommy. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah.